Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. We're done with our Christian Roots series. I'm going to talk about the miracle of Christmas. And uh, we're going to do this for a few weeks. And I'm going to bring what I really hope is an encouraging word for you today. Um, I know the last three weeks have been a little heavy, talking about martyrs and all of that kind of stuff, and um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed teaching it, which is really what it was, so you don't have a handout today. Um, Hopefully that doesn't bum you out too much, but we're going to talk about the miracle of Christmas and um, how mind-blowing God's methods are. And uh, in Isaiah is where we're going to begin. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So my ways, my manner in which I do things are higher, more lofty than you could ever think. So that puts God in a pretty particular category, doesn't it? In Romans chapter 11, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom, the Sophia and the Gnosis of Theos, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. God's riches is, and his wisdom is unfathomable. His methods are beyond our understanding, and if you were in doubt of that, we sang from Isaiah today that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Do you believe that? I have experienced that in my own life. Have you? Stop and think. I seem to have been backed in a corner. I didn't seem to have the right answer. I didn't seem to, I didn't, there was no, and then all of a sudden, this Ram came up the backside of the mountain using the metaphor of of Abraham. So if you wanted to get someone to be the deliverer of Israel, you wanted to wrangle Moses to be uh, an emancipator. Um, If you were God, how would you get his attention? Oh, let's go set a bush on fire. Let's go set a bush and then talk from inside the bush. His ways are higher than our ways, right? Miracle methods. So you're trying to deliver the children of Israel and the the final plague comes around and there's been all kinds of frogs and locusts and so forth. And so now now it's time. It's time to get them out of here. It's the final final hurrah. It's the coup de grace. It's the last how we're going to do this. Well, I'll tell you what you should do. Slaughter a lamb, then get that lamb's blood and get like a little brush of of straw and just, just... Paint the lamb's blood over the doorpost of your house. That seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Can can you come with me on a a mental journey of, what are you talking about? That seems super strange. So we orchestrate their escape. How do we get them out? Oh, let's take them right to the edge of the Red Sea. And then let's just part the Red Sea. God's ways are higher than our ways. He does things that surprise us every time we turn around. It's miraculous. It's stupefying. Why, why would he do it like that? 
Okay, well, let's get them out in the desert. They need to eat. What should we do? Well, let's have quail. Let's have quail land in the middle of the camp every day. Well, they're going to need water. How should they get water? Let's have it come out of a rock. Can you imagine the meeting in heaven? What do you think, guys? How should we, have, how should we provide them with water? Gabriel, let's have it come out of a rock. Oh, that's a great idea, Gabriel. Let's do that. So let's get them into the promised land. How's that going to happen? We'll take them right to the edge of the Jericho River. And then the Jericho River will stop flowing. The river will stop flowing. Let's take them through on dry land. I mean, it goes on and on. I have a list really long here. Let me just hit a couple more. How about uh, Naaman, the, the army commander who had leprosy? Right? He got so, he's got his nose so out of joint because he wanted to go see Elisha. And Elisha didn't even answer the door. Elisha set a silver to the door and said, Oh, you want to get healed of leprosy? The master says, Just go dip in the Jordan seven times. Why? That sounds, why didn't he come out to meet me? Why didn't he do it the way I thought he should do it? I'm a commander around here. I'm important. He should have met with me. Okay, I will. And he did. God wants to uh, knock down the prophets of Baal a few notches, so he sends fire. Not just fire, he sends it on a sacrifice that's been drenched with buckets, gallons, hundreds of gallons of water. Then he not only burns up the sacrifice, but the very stones melt. What? <laughs> oh my. The entire Philistine army taken down by a little boy with a sling and a rock. Let's, I have an idea. Let's get Jonah to Nineveh. How should we do that? Put him in the belly of a great fish. That would be fun to see, wouldn't it? And then, talk about miracle methods, and then the God of the universe decides he wants to come and be with us. How should he choose to enter the world? I get it. How about in the form of a baby born of a virgin? Mmm, that sounds fun. That sounds mind-blowing. It's not out of character. Christmas is not out of character for what God does. It's always mind-blowing. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. None of it makes logical sense. God rarely does. Answer this question. One plus one equals, uh, no, one plus one in God's economy equals one. One man, one woman, make one. One and one equals one. How are we going to feed 5,000? Oh, let's get a little boy's lunch. How are we going to take on the army, the Amalekites, Elisha and his, and his uh, servant, they're, I just see them peering over the edge of the mountain. And the little servant says to Elijah, oh, master, look, there's so many, and it's so great. And Elijah says, oh, no, no, open, open your eyes, son. There's more who are for us than are against us. Opening blind eyes. How does he do that? Spits in the mud. Walks on water. And on and on his miraculous methods go. So, I mean, why do we try to put God in a box? You put him in a box, that's not where miracles happen. When you get God outside of your box, that's when miracles start to happen. God does not do miracles from inside a box. You wouldn't put yourself in a box. Why would you put God in a box? So, 
Imagine that you're pitching this movie called Christmas to some Hollywood execs. I have for you the best, you know the, the trailer, the teaser that they play, and then they've got that, that voice, that voice. That, I can't do it, but I wish I could. That voice that comes on and it says, you know, coming to a theater near you, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so with that voice in your head, I want you to hear that coming out of my mouth when I read the best trailer ever for Christmas. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and you will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. I mean, come on, man. That's a trailer and a half. What do I do about trailers? Trailers are for movies that haven't been released yet, right? This is an Isaiah. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born being prophesied a miracle method that a virgin will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. So, in keeping in step with his pattern, he's always established. And what is the pattern? God chooses plain, ordinary people to do extraordinary work. This is what we've done. It's what we've, we've gone, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Elisha, Samuel. Now, who gets added to the list? Mary and Joseph. Just a working class couple, just blue collar people working their job. Nothing special here to see. But the Lord came to them and then sent them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Nazareth is way up north, um, and Bethlehem is right outside of Jerusalem. That's a 70 mile pregnant women, 70 mile pregnant women. Maybe, 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 maybe donkey, a ride a donkey, maybe walking 70 miles. That's from, by the way, I did the distance check. That's from here to Champaign. Yeah, that's how far you have to walk to see who, to give birth to who? Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel, Emmanuel mean? We should know it means God with us. The Bible states a few facts, and we're only going to look at this one verse. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And so here's the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she did what? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room in the end. That's what we get. That's the, that's the, the gooey nugget in the middle nougat. That's the gooey nougat in the middle of the Snickers bar today. That verse right there. Two things. He was wrapped in cloth and his place in a manger. Now, I, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but the whole, the whole, you know, the, the, you know <laughs> we're going to see it Sunday morning when the kids do their thing. And we've got it right here on the mantle. So, so I, I'm actually perpetuating something that, that is, you know, I, in my mind, I see the little guy opening the little door inside the door, you know, and says, no, there's no room, and closes it. But we've got the stable out back, you know, and so Mary and Joseph, they walk out, and they turn the corner, and they go to the back, and there's this little, here's this little stable, and that's where it all happened. That's not there. You don't get any of that. You get two facts. She had the baby. Why? Because there's no room in the inn. So we assume it's a stable because there was a manger, but I'm going to get to that in a second. So... So we know that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and we know he's laid in a manger. Um, it was Cheryl's birthday in the year 1990. I was graduating from uh, North Central uh, 
And I, I, I literally remember this. I said, Cheryl, come out here and look at this on the news. This will be a memorable day. February 11th, 1990 is the day that Nelson Mandela was released after 25, 26 years being in prison in South Africa during apartheid. If you don't know anything about that, take my word on it. Um, so he, he died in, I think, in 2005. But it was interesting because of what South Africa was going through during those days and what apartheid was, the segregation of blacks and whites in South Africa. It was in the news before Nelson Mandela ever got out of prison. His name was bantered around. And some people, some very prominent people, believed that Nelson Mandela was dead and spread this idea that was dead, that Nelson Mandela was dead. And so a great portion of the world believed that Nelson Mandela was dead, though he wasn't dead. He was still in prison. And then when he got out of prison, everybody went, oh, I can't believe that. That's freaking me out. Because I heard somebody told me Nelson Mandela is dead. So I tell you all of that backstory to tell you this. There is something called today called the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect is that you remember stuff uh, absolutely, I remember that. No, you're not even close to remembering it correctly. So here's how it happens. Uh, you remember this, the, the peanut butter Skippy? Well, before Skippy, there was Jiffy, right? Yeah. Wrong. Look at the picture. It wasn't called Jiffy. It was called Jiff. You thought it was Jiffy. Because only, cho- only choosy mothers choose Jiff. The Looney Tunes, like cartoons, right? T-O-O-N-S, Looney Tunes, no. Looney Tunes looks like this. By a show of hands, people that believe the Monopoly man has a monocle or doesn't have a monocle. All those who believe he does not have a monocle, raise your hand. Does not. All of you believe he has a monocle, raise your hand. Oh, let's take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, the Monopoly man has never had a monocle. You think planter's penis. Ah, the Mandela effect. Luke, I am your father. He never said it. What did he say? I'll show you what he said. Here's the video clip. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to he told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am the father. He doesn't say Luke. He just says, no. I am your father. November 23rd. 20- 2nd, 1963, JFK was assassinated. Now, there's a lot of controversy about JFK and what you remember about JFK. This blew my mind. Sorry. Sorry. How many people, how many people were in the car? How many people were in the car the day JFK got shot? Four, five, three, six... Okay, you're all wrong. Look here. There's actually six people. There's two in the front seat, the governor of Texas and his wife behind them facing forward, then JFK and Jacqueline behind them. There's actually six people in the car the day that JFK got assassinated. And my favorite, Fruit Loops. Go ahead, take a look at the box. You know what's wrong with that picture? 
Show the next slide. It's actually fruit with two O's. Go back to the previous. You think it's that. It's not that. Show the other one. Fruit loops. There's no fruit in those loops. You should know that. <laughs> I try to convince my daughter there is, but she doesn't believe me. That's my favorite. So take it when I tell you. Take it as gospel when I tell you. There's a thing called the Mandela effect, and there is no barn, and there is no stable. You think there's a barn, you think there's a stable, but watch this. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. That's it. Luke 2, 7. So I'm going to take a second to, to, and so I'd ask for your indulgence to go back to an Old Testament prophetic word in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, as for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. All right, so we take this word prophetically and we have something really, really interesting that happens. Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? In Micah 4, 8, watchtower of the flock. That phrase that I just read to you, watchtower of the flock, if you could read Hebrew, it would actually say migdal eder, that's what it says, migdal eder. It's what it says in the Hebrew. Instead of watchtower of the flock, it says migdal eder, and that's actually located in Bethlehem. Leave that up for a second. How do we know that migdal eder is located in Bethlehem? Because migdal eder is actually named another place in the Bible, but it's not it's, it's, it's written as Migdal Eder, not Watchtower of the Flock. So in Hebrew translation, the translator had an opportunity to use Migdal Eder twice in Genesis and in, in Micah, or they use Watchtower of the Flock and Watchtower of the Flock. However, what's a, a tad confusing for most is because it's the same phrase, Watchtower of the Flock, but in Micah, it's called Watchtower of the flock. In Genesis, it's called Migdal Eder. Does that make sense to you? We know this back in um, Genesis uh, 35, 19 through 22. Go ahead and show the slide of, uh, yeah, okay, this is taken in 1930 something. So this is what we're referencing. <clears throat> why, why is this important? Because in Genesis 39, this is where Jacob Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, changed his name to, name changed to Israel. One of the patriarchs, Jacob, who married Rachel. Rachel died, giving birth to Benjamin. He took Rachel's body to Bethlehem and he buried her on the north edge of Bethlehem. I've been to the tomb. On the north edge of Bethlehem. This is all in uh, Genesis uh, 35, 19 through 21. Took her body there and he built a tower over her, like a, like a cemetery, like a, what do you call it, a tombstone. And in that text, in Genesis, he calls it Migdal Eder. And, and it was Migdal Eder where he buried her at the town of Bethlehem, built a tower, a watchtower, over. It wasn't until later, all the way in Micah, we have the prophecy that's talking about Watchtower of the flock. Well, if you're just reading an English Bible, you see Watchtower of the flock, you never think about it. But if you can look at the Hebrew word, it says Migdal Eder. 
So you go and say, where else is Migdal Eder? That's an unusual thing. I should know more about that. You find it only, only, only in one, one, one other place in the entire Bible, and that's in Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob buries Rachel in Bethlehem, built a tower, a watchtower, that's later used for uh, military purposes. But in the time of Jesus, hold on now, in the time of Jesus, this tower stood. Why was Bethlehem such a big deal? Because you're a Jew, and Israel's wife is buried in this town. That's like going out to Lincoln's tomb, right? Here's a matriarch, ladies and gentlemen, a thousand, hundred, hundreds of years, if not a thousand years after. It stands, Migdal Eder, this tower now called the Tower of the Flock, Migdal Eder, in, not in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. Why are you making the difference? Well, if you can go to modern day Jerusalem today, you can stand on the wall of Jerusalem and from here to the end of the block, you can see the city of David. There's a differentiation between the city of David and Jerusalem. Why is that a big deal? It's because in the text it says, in Luke chapter 2, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and everyone went to the one of their own city. Everyone, and so Mary and Joseph went from where? Went from Nazareth through Judea unto the city of David. The Savior of the world is going to come from this place, Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. They're just four miles apart, ladies and gentlemen. You could walk there, you could walk there in under an hour, four miles, is from here to uh, I-55, right? It's not that far. That's how close Bethlehem is to Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was born, just outside of the ruling power. I like the, the metaphor there. In a place called the city of David. So the story goes that, oh, I'm way ahead of myself, but I'll just read it to you. Um... So while they were there, the shepherds living out in the field, they were out in the field watching over their flocks. Well, we have this picture, there's like four sheep. And there's two shepherds. No, half a million sheep. Why so many sheep? Because four miles from here, we need spotless lambs. Bring them, bring them. Every day, bring them. We gotta sacrifice, slaughter, innocent lambs for the forgiveness of sins in the temple right there. Bring us spotless lambs. Bring us spotless lambs. Half a million sheep. On the day the temple was dedicated, 120,000 were slaughtered. 120,000. So we need spotless lambs, spotless lambs, spotless lambs. Why? So we can remove the sin of the, cover the sin at that time, cover the sins of Israel by the sacrifice. They were, in the, they were keeping watch over the flocks, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around about them. They were so afraid. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for you all people. Today, today, in the city of David, in the town of Bethlehem, this is in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, now verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. Notice he's not coming to kings and queens and anything more like that, but it's just lowly shepherds like you and me. I mean, come on, these guys were working the third shift in the middle of the night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Suddenly, with the angel, there's a multitude, heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Why? 
Because verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby. Okay, all right, okay, got it. Baby. Wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, check, boom. Lying in the manger. Suddenly an angel will come to the heavenly host. Well, that was it? That's all we get? Keep reading. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. When the angels had left, they went, and the shepherds and one another, let's go, find, let's go to Bethlehem. See, they were out in the field. So let's go to Bethlehem. We're going to go to Bethlehem. Where do you think we're going to go to find a baby sheep, a baby that's spotless, wrapped in swine? Here's how it worked. Shepherds. Oh, she's having a baby. Boop. Baby sheep. Got a lamb. Let's go inspect this sheep. Where do we go? We go to Migdal Eder. We lay the baby down in a manger. Make sure it's spotless. It has to be inspected out of all the thousands of sheep that are popping out all over the place. They got to be kept somewhere. They got to be wrapped. Like you're going to wrap a package, bubble wrap this thing. Right? Why? Because we can't have a spot on this thing. We can't have a blemish on this thing. So they wrapped, I'm talking, I'm talking Hebraic Mishnah, I'm talking the oral tradition of Israel. I'm not talking biblical here. I'm not telling you definitively this is what happened. This is a very highly educated speculation beyond the little squeaky door where the guy says, no, go out back to the stable. We got no word of the stable, but we do have historical evidence of Migdal Eder, hundreds of thousands of sheep. So you're a shepherd and the, and the angel says, go to Bethlehem, go right over there. You can see it from here. Go there and you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes like y'all do, laying in the manger like y'all put it, and he'll be the savior of the world, the lamb of God. What? Are you kidding me? Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. Placed in Migdal Eder. Shepherds knew exactly where to go. If you're trying to find a baby sheep out of 500,000 adult, where are you going to find that baby? And how is it going to be wrapped? He said, no, you're going to find this baby. Then he said, you're going to go to Bethlehem. You're going to find this child laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. How prophetic. So verse 16, so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the Definite article. Definite article. I called Dr. Nichols to make sure. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. The manger. Not any old manger being this, this hewn out stone thing where you would put feed in, in this case, in Migdal Eder, where you would lay the, the sheep to be inspected to make sure it was spotless. It doesn't say you will find the baby lying in the manger. Oh, if I'm a shepherd, I'm not looking for uh, I'm not looking for any old manger, a uh, manger. I'm looking for definite article the the manger. Go find him in the manger. Is this is this are any dots being connected at all? For me, it did. Mary had a perfect little lamb that needed to be bubble wrapped and sent to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him the day he was to be baptized. He said, look, the Lamb of God. He didn't say the King of the earth. He didn't say the Son of David. He said, here's the Lamb. Here's the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, but he's coming back. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation. You know what? I... I, 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 I 
I like that. I like that. I like that symmetry. I like that. I like that feel. I like what, how that settles with me. Yeah, victorious, the lion coming back in the book of Revelation. The lion, the lion is only mentioned four times. The lamb mentioned 31 times in the book of Revelation. Behold the lamb of God, the lamb of God, the lamb of God, the lamb of God, the lamb of God. Born to simple people, Mary and Joseph in a carpenter's home, hanging out with the local woodworkers union, fishermen, tax collectors, average everyday people like you and me. First Corinthians chapter one reminds us, brothers, think, think of what you were before you were called not. Now, if you're doing a Bible study and you're doing it inductively and you're looking at this, you're gonna say, wait a second, this word's used three times in one verse. Not many of you were wise or by human standards. Not many of you were influential and not many of you were of noble birth. Not, not, not. That's not, that's not us. But God, I love that phrase, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. And so no one would be able to boast before him. Is this really the method? Is this the method, this miraculous, mind-blowing method that God chose to introduce himself to the world? I mean, come on, you're the God of the universe. How about a grand entrance here, Jesus? Come on. We see it at every wedding. <laughs> Doors open. Everyone stands up. We look back. Here she goes. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful entrance. The opening of a concert. Iconic movie entrances. Indiana Jones. I looked some of them up. James Bond. Darth Vader. England's royalty. Come on, those are entrances. That's how you're supposed to introduce important, special people. But God was going to give us an example here of a miraculous method that didn't include some sort of fanfare. He still uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary work. Look at the examples of the last few weeks in our sermon series. Those are all ordinary people that God said, okay, I'm going to use you. Here's the key. It's not so much about your abilities, ladies and gentlemen. It's about your attitude and your availability. You should write that down because that's key. God's mysterious methods have to do with your attitude and your availability. Your attitudes and your availability. Not your, not your abilities, but your attitudes and availability. So from Moses to Mary... All of them had very little ability. Abraham, not good in abilities, but he had great attitude. And his availability, he says, okay. God says, get up and go. Okay, we'll go. Where are we going? I'm not gonna tell you until you get the family in the minivan. Can you imagine that, guys? How would that go over with the wife? Hey, honey, load up the kids, get in the van. Okay, sure, where, where, where are we going? We're moving. Where are we moving to? I don't know. I don't know, but God will tell us where to go. <laughs> right, there's no ability there. That's just availability and attitude. Moses. Moses, if you don't know, was a stutterer. Doesn't say that he ever got cured of stuttering. 
He had to have a, he had to have a hype man up front. I, 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 I can't talk is what his, one, his litany of excuses that he used in the book of Exodus. I can't do it. I can't do it. But then finally, it said God's anger burned against him, and that was enough. He, he immediately became available. Even though he had no ability, he changed his attitude. He says, okay. And he says, okay, I'll go do it. Mary, you know, if you're going to birth the savior of the world into this dirty dirt place called earth, don't you think you would have, should have entrusted this little the Messiah, this little bitty baby to a mother who had a little bit of experience. I mean, my gosh, it should have been Jill Cook. She got 12 kids. Should have been Hannah Schaefer. She got four or five, four. Last, last time I checked, there was four. Right? But no, we're going we're gonna to have the savior of the world born to a little teenage girl with no parenting experience. What? Well, no abilities, lots of good attitude, and lots of good availability. That's his method. I'm the Lord's servant. Look at Luke 1.38. She says, okay, this is how it's going to go down. This is her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Leave that there for a second. Let that soak in. She didn't go, but, 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 but. She didn't have a litany of excuses. She knew she was unqualified, but she simply said, okay, I'm available, and I got a good attitude about it. Be it, do whatever, you need, whatever needs to happen, let's do this. I think that's why God chose Mary. She used to be revered. She used to be honored, not prayed to, but honored. Amen. A miracle of methods, mind-blowing God seems to always take everyday, ordinary, unqualified. I would, I would always take an anointed, unqualified person over a qualified, unanointed person. Did you hear that? That's what God takes. He says, don't show me your resume. I could care less. I made the resume. That does not impress me. That does not impress me. Or... Uh, uh, okay, yes, Lord. Or the simple fact that you've lived on this earth for X number of years. It doesn't qualify you as, as, as being uh, with great ability. It just means you've consumed that much oxygen. You're as good as a ward on a pickle. Useless, unless you're available. God says, I don't care about your abilities. I do not care about your ability. Why? I gave them to you anyway. What I do need, which I can't control, is whether or not you're going to say yes and you're going to have a good attitude about it. Okay. Whether you're going to say yes or you're going to have a good attitude about it. Don't tell me how qualified you are. God says, I don't care how qualified you are. I'm picking a virgin and I'm picking Mary. I'm picking Moses. I'm picking Abraham. I'm picking these guys with zero, zero references. I'm picking them with zero expertise. Why? Because they've made themselves available and they got a good attitude. So what does Jesus do? What does God do? He takes normal people, puts them on a road less traveled. Ooh, see, it's getting harder now. And he says, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put you on a road and it's going to be the long way around. What, what, what are you talking about? You're the God of miracles. You can open, open rivers and you can open. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you the long way around. Why does God take us the long way around? 
Why, God? Why do I have to wait? Why, pastor, does God make me wait? Oh, don't ask me that. Because he's not ready. That's the answer. Probably because he sees that you're not ready. So oftentimes, the majority of the time, God takes you the long way around is why? So he can work on your availability and your attitude. Because a lot of it comes with a really bad, bad attitude. Most Americans have a really, really, you owe me attitude, Karen. Bunch of religious Karens. If your name's Karen, don't take offense. It's just... The long way around produces what in you? Humility and reveals your rebellion. You don't think it's true? In Exodus 13, 17, write it down. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Wait a second. If you look at the map and that book in the back of your Bible is the 67th book of the Bible called Maps, the book of Maps, you open it up and you trace the Israelites' journey out of Egypt to Israel. It should have taken them maybe 20, 30 days to get there. Just boop, boop, boop. No big deal. No, God takes them down, boom, right to the edge of the Red Sea. Well, it's shorter that way. Some people, some people, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, (laughs) I beg to differ. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to sit down and be quiet. And you're going to have to wait. And you have to be quiet. And you're going to have to have a good attitude about it. But I'm available. Availability is part of it. But you've got to have a good attitude about it. Okay, I have a good attitude. No, you're only saying you have a good attitude. God knows. Well, I'm skilled. I have all these skills. I've had all this training. Good for you. That's great. Sit down and be quiet. Wait. (laughs) He took him the long way around. So here's your take home for the day. You ready? Mind-blowing methods. It's not about rockets. It's not about fireworks. It's not about trumpet blasts and royal entrances, iconic cinematic fanfares. No, most of the time it's as simple as God having to take you the long way around. I know God's at work in your life. It's not about your abilities. Whether you have none, oh, I could never do that, or you come and say, I have all the abilities. It's not about that, it's about your attitude and your availability. I love how Jesus came as a weak, vulnerable lamb. But somehow we think God needs to make us strong and invincible. It's incongruent, cognitive dissidence. He was meek and vulnerable, and we, stre- we seek strength and invincibility. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Not the one that elbows their way to the front. I'm so talented, I'm so skilled. No, that's not how it works, not in the Bible. So you're needing a miracle? Yes, we all need miracles. What are you thinking of? I said I have an encouraging word for you today. This is an encouraging word. Why? Because you don't have to have any skill. 
Although in American nomenclature, having a very rare skill is patience. That's the, that's the sit down, be quiet and wait. Let God take care of this. He's gonna take you the long way around to test your attitude and to make sure you're humble. And he often does that by bringing people into your life that you, that you dislike. Oh man, I wish there were people that I liked that did that to me. No, because then you dislike them. No pastor, test to me. No pastor, or no God, or no, I, 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 need, I, need, I need to be promoted by heaven. So, first you check your attitude. Philippians 2.14, we'll wrap this up. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, you can all go home now. <laughs> what? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation. So let's break it down. Let's break down your attitude. What is it? You take responsibility when you screw up. You count your blessings. You remember that you're an ambassador. You're not your own. You keep your focus on God, not your cruddy circumstances, though they may be, right? We speak positive words over our lives. God loves me. God is for me. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. You do everything as under the Lord. You do your best. And you remember that you're not as smart as you think you are. Oh, Oh, you're so clever. You're so clever. You fancy yourself to be so clever. You're so smart. When I was young, I fancied myself clever because I wanted to change the world. When you get older, you should consider yourself wise because you want to change yourself. This is not about being clever. It's not about being the sharpest knife in the drawer. No, God generally pulls the dullest knife out of the drawer. Look at us. But if you say, here am I, like Isaiah of old, here am I, here am I, here am I, send me, that's availability, James 4, submit yourselves, submit yourselves, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and flee, availability, God uses ordinary submitted people like you, like me, to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom if you make yourself available. If you're not submitted and available, God can't use you. I don't care how great your skill set is, right? So you have a house, you want to build a deck. You call the guy up. You call the most skilled guy in the yellow pages. Do they even make yellow pages anymore? I am so old. You look on the internet and you search best deck builders in your community and Yelp tells you that this is the guy. The most qualified, but he's not available and he's got a bad attitude because he doesn't want to do it the way you think it should be built. Well, who should you surrender your plans to anyway? You're a plumber, not a carpenter. You're a CPA, not a carpenter. You're a nurse, not a carpenter. You're an auto mechanic, not a carpenter. Let the carpenter build it. But if he doesn't have, if he doesn't want to do it the way you think it should be done, what are we talking about? Availability and attitude. Call the best one in the yellow pages. But if he doesn't have availability in the right attitude, you don't want him. So God looks at us and says, why are you trying to build this thing the way you want to build it? I'm the carpenter here. Will you let me? Will you be available? 
The miracle of the method starts with the saying of old, here am I, send me. Every Old Testament story we've discovered would never have happened if it didn't start with, here am I, send me, regardless of your skill set. Mary was available, the 12 disciples were available, on and on. Every great Christian we discussed over the last three weeks didn't have abilities. What did they have? Availability and a good attitude. God's mind-blowing methods takes us, mostly average people, not of normal birth, with little or no talent, but says, if you will have a good attitude and you'll make yourself available, who knows what would happen? Who knows what would happen? Why don't you stand up with me this morning, please? Father, we want to have a good attitude and we want to make ourselves available. We're not asking for talents. Oh God, give me another talent. He would often reply and he has to me, he'd say, oh son, you're not using the talents that I've given you. Why would I give you more? Why don't I have any talent? You can serve. You can serve. Well, that's not very glamorous. Did I call you to a life of glamour? Or did I call you to a life of service? I called you to a life of service. So here we are, Lord, with whatever skill set you've given us, and we're going to make ourselves available. First of all, if we've never surrendered our lives, that's the first thing, making ourselves available right now with a good attitude. God, I want to be with you. I need your forgiveness. I know that if I, I need to know that if I were to die today, that I would be with you. I'm making myself available right now. Not because of my good works, not because of the money that I've given or the good works that I've done. I am a wretch. I am undone. I need you because my sins far outweigh any good that I've ever done. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Father, here we are. We are beggars. We're all beggars. And I am the chief thereof. Lord, we need your grace. Need your mercy. Come and save our souls, Lord. Write our names in the Lion's Book of Life. Write our name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Lord, for those giving their life to you this morning. For those of us, Lord, that have known you for some time, would you check our attitude today? Please. Most would say we're available, but would we really if you said wake up at midnight and begin to pray? or wake up an hour early, begin to pray, or take an hour out of your life and go down to St. John's Breadline and serve the homeless? How available are you? How available am I? So Lord, we, we, we open up our, our daytime, our, our schedule, we open up our, our, our calendars to you and say, God, here we are, whatever you need us to do, wherever you want us to go, we are available. And the Lord's response to us today is simple. Seek first the kingdom. His righteousness. All that other stuff will come. Don't worry, don't fret, don't strive. Don't strive, don't strive, don't strive. Rest in me. Sit down, be quiet, zip your lip, wait on the Lord. Let him take you the long way around. Let him show you a few things. Let him educate you. Let him work on your humility. 
Submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, and you'll be surprised. Take God out of the box, that's not where he does miracles, and put him back on the throne of your life right now. Whatever's sitting on the throne of your heart, just kick it off, wipe it clean, and place the Lord God Almighty back on the throne of your heart. That's called getting born again, again, every day. We come to you, Lord. We repent of putting ourselves and our ambitions and our things and our thoughts and our ministries and our hopes and our homes and our jobs on that throne. And we only want to worship you. We just want to worship you. And you'll lead us. And should we never be able to get to the top of that mountain or see that river in a distant land, Lord, you're still God. You're still God. Whatever you have planned for us, Lord, even if it's a long way around, take us there and show us. So that in the end, when they put us six feet under, they'll be able to say, there's someone that heard the voice of the Lord. There's someone that loved Jesus. Well done. Well done good and faithful servant. We surrender our lives to you fresh and new today, and especially during this season, Lord, as we think about the miracle of Christmas and today the method. And as these weeks unfold, may we be mindful to share this good news with our friends and our family. May we ever be the evangelist in the lives of those around us that you bring to us, unashamed and unafraid. And now may the peace of God the hand of heaven, the smile of Jesus be on your life. That as you leave today, you'd go in power, in courage, knowing that there are more who are for you than against you. That his hand will always lead you. Not as the lion, but as the lamb. Meek and humble, born of a virgin. Lead us, lead on, O King eternal. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real relevant relationship.